Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is Learn to Kick Fear with Love. Take action. Learn how internet marketers, real estate investors, and other entrepreneurs are overcoming their fears and making it happen and being successful. You know she's got the 411. It's time to kick those fears to the curb with love right now. Right now. Right now. Hey, hey, what's going on? Take Action Low here. And oh my God, I have an exclusive interview with Mr. Bill Sirius. Bill has been a real estate investor for 30 years with stewardship properties and they manage and own right at 1,000 units. That's right, 1,000 units. So get ready. This is an exclusive interview. We did a side-by-side interview and my video wasn't quite clear. So I modified it just a little bit, but you'll be able to see Bill's clear and handsome face. Let me know what you think about the interview. Enjoy. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode, another show of the Take Action with Low Show. I have uh, a special guest. I know that I say that about all of my guests, but this gentleman, actually, he's he's a pretty special, special gentleman, uh, Mr. Bill Sirius. But before we dig in and talk with him, because uh, he's really going to share some just great information that's going to help you guys in your real estate investing business. Just simply want to thank everyone, um, all of my followers on YouTube, Facebook. Thank you guys so much for your support. Um, I appreciate it so much. And again, as always, any feedback you have when it comes to the guests that we have, please make sure you share it. All right. But we appreciate you guys. Uh, but Mr. Bill Sirius is a serious uh, investor. He is not a newbie by any means necessary. Uh, His business, um, their stewardship properties there in Oregon, they uh, first started, he's a visionary of stewardship properties, started in 1989. They have grown, I mean, just to a number of different states that they're doing business in, business in now and have nearly a thousand properties uh, that they own and manage. And I'm so excited 
because I met Bill and, and one of his partners, Greg, a few years ago, and we, we've been able to partner with them and work with them here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So, so much I can say about Bill, but I'm just going to go ahead and get started. And again, Bill, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you, Lo. It's a privilege to be with you today. I, I appreciate it. Oh, you're more than welcome. So share what our Take Action listeners. Share a little bit about yourself and your background and, and how you got started in the real estate business. Well, that word Take Action uh, kind of reminds me of a <clears throat> pretty difficult start I, I had. I was in Portland. I was a campus pastor and I uh, really was entrepreneurial at heart, and that fit my uh, work as being a campus pastor, actually. Uh, but I had some time on the side, so I started uh, you know, dabbling in real estate. And this was actually in the early 80s. Um, and I, over just the course of a year or two, I'd bought three, actually, it ended up to be four properties. And those properties uh, were bought at a time when it's kind of like uh, buying your properties in 2008, you know, <laughs> not the best time to be buying properties, particularly <laughs> when you were a newbie. And uh, all of a sudden I saw myself uh, in kind of dire financial straits because the market was plummeting in Oregon at the time, which was based on the timber economy. And so what looked like it to be a 1980s recession in the country was a depression in the state of Oregon. And, uh, Real estate prices went down anywhere between 20 and 40 percent. It was pretty, pretty bad situation. So the take action thing reminded me of the fact that I got out of Dodge out of Portland and relocated to Eugene because of my campus pastor work. Uh, and I was able to get out without too many losses. But what I did carry with me was kind of the heavy weight of uh, failure, I would say. And uh, even though my losses weren't great. It was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to do that again kind of thing. And so, you know, I, just right off the bat, one thing I would say you tend to learn or a lesson learned from experience that's not the right lesson is if you say, I'll never do that again because <laughs> you got hurt yeah. in a relationship financially or whatever, that would have been a very poor lesson for me to learn a few years later down in Eugene because I restarted and was able to kind of turn things around. Awesome. And, and that's what I wanted to share with you too. I mean, because uh, I have a lot of listeners that are, are new uh, entrepreneurs, new real estate investors, and they range from, you know, having some experience to a lot of experience. I think you're one of the few that I've had on the show that not only have been in business as long as you have, but have been able to generate the success, you know, that you have. So will you share a few challenges that you had along the way, you know, uh, as an investor and, and, and the things that you had to overcome in the roadblocks and, and, and what you what you did? That's a good question. And, and one of the challenges is uh, kind of going from being a hobbyist to being a business builder. And for me, so interestingly enough, when I relocated to Eugene, uh, I, I had a wandering eye, I must admit this. And my, my wandering eye went to the classified section of the real estate. Uh, <laughs> and I kept looking at properties because at that point I had I'd had that pretty difficult experience in Portland. But I, I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could start this up again. It kind of kept going through my mind. But I got hepatitis, uh, I think it's B, at a restaurant. which oh, wow. Was, flat on my back for two weeks, which I could crawl to the bathroom and crawl back to bed. But what that 
uh, did for me, it gave me some time to think. It was then three years later, 1989, and I realized that I probably wasn't going to do this campus pastor thing for the rest of my life. I loved students. I enjoyed what I was doing, but I was 35 years old, and I was thinking, you know, it's probably time to make a transition. What am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to make it? And uh, the idea of real estate kind of kept cropping up in my mind. Now, I was reading a book at the time, interestingly enough, on property management, because one of my big failures in Portland was my horrible property management uh, orientation. Again, I was a hobbyist. I wasn't a business-oriented, business-builder kind of person. I didn't take a single business class in college. Uh, my family didn't run businesses. I was entrepreneurial, but I wasn't business-minded. So this book kind of set me straight and helped me to see that from property one, from day one, I needed to treat those properties as a business and not as a hobby. So it really kind of reoriented me. I got business cards. I stopped meeting people to do uh, leases at my home. I actually didn't have an office, so I had Wendy's restaurant. Happened to be out for the <laughs> Why don't we just meet at Wendy's and sign a lease agreement kind of thing. But that what that did is kind of removed me from this informal approach. You know, mm -hmm. just come over, we're friends. You know, we'll sign a lease agreement. Those things don't work out so well usually. And it certainly didn't in my case because I'm a little bit of a softie at heart. So, you know, I needed to bear down, put some policies, you know, uh, have some, uh, you know, abide by the agreement kind mm -hmm. of uh, approach. Yeah, so that was a really important turning point for me going from a hobbyist to a uh, the mindset of a business builder. Sure, and that's, that's really important, and I'm glad you shared that. Uh, now, I know another thing, just from knowing, knowing you and, and reading your story and just, you know, being able to spend some time with you, uh, talk about niches, you know, because, you know, you say, and, and we've heard, you know, there's riches in the niches. So can you talk a little bit about that and how that has helped you also kind of scale your business by, you know, developing a certain niche? Well, it's funny. Last night I was talking to somebody. It was at a Halloween party, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, and his family in 1947 started a, if you can imagine, a decorative light pole business of which now oh. they've grown all over the United States, even the world kind of thing. Wow. Who in the world would think that there's a business in decorative <laughs> light poles? <laughs> right. But this niche has made their family rich. I wow. can tell you, because they've specialized, they're experts. They mm -hmm. put in Boston, Massachusetts, they put a 1500 decorative light poles, as you can imagine, all over the city. So uh, I kind of uh, found a niche by accident. I was a campus pastor, I like students. And so the first property I bought was near the University of Oregon. And I guess kind of fell into this campus housing market. And uh, I realized over not too long of a time, if I could increase the number of bedrooms in one of these properties, like mm -hmm. buy a property that had a th three bedrooms in a house, uh, even can do it sometimes in an apartment. I've done uh, transferred the mechanical room to um, to an apartment. But if I could if I could make more bedrooms go from three to five, that might cost. $50,000 because you're converting a family room or a garage, a basement, uh, unused uh, formal dining space, all kinds of things to think about. How could I carve out more bedrooms and, and secondarily bathrooms? But I could increase the rental value of a property substantially. When you increase the rental value, your cash flow increases the value. So I could go back and I could get the property uh, refinanced, pull my money out, 
and do the next one and do the next one and do the next one. So that little niche market of campus housing and just to, to, to niche down even further. And I really do think you need to have a niche mindset when you start. You need to become an expert in something. Yes. So I niched down not just student housing, but I would look for houses that were not in the A ring, which is virtually in sight of campus, not even necessarily in the B plus or B ring, but kind of in the B minus C plus C ring, which was farther out, but still students would go there. These houses weren't the premium priced properties around campus. So I could buy them at a, at a more reduced rate, do my thing to them that I just talked about, and still not lose very much in terms of per uh, par, uh, per bedroom uh, value in terms of the rental value. Now I do, we rent them as a, an entire house. We don't rent them out per bedroom when we have houses, mm -hmm. but still students think that way. We kind of think that way, but that little niching down kind of thing, I became an expert. Matter of fact, eventually they called me bedroom bill because I could <laughs> find a bedroom where nobody else could find them. You talk about an enhanced closet, you know, for crying out loud. <laughs> but that was the key to uh, really increasing rental value in these properties around campus. And that became the financial foundation of stewardship properties of which we then were able to start niching up. And niching up is then finding properties that weren't campus properties, mm -hmm. multifamily properties, uh, properties that were just regular rentals uh, around campus, manufactured homes, uh, you know, we kind of uh, niched back up, but this niching down helped me to become an expert, helped me to build a financial base. Uh, I knew when a property came came my way, if it was a good value or not, because I knew instantly I had such a good grasp of what values were around the University of Oregon. That was my first niche. That is fantastic. So uh, everybody listening, again, remember, you know, find your niche. And then once you master that, uh, then you can kind of scale up and and scale out. Is that correct, Bill? That's that's how I put it. Yeah, niche down. Then when you really uh, build that base, uh, start niching up. Awesome, great advice. Okay, so let's talk about uh, your exciting new podcast <laughs> that you guys just recently launched, and I love the name. It's perfect. Oh, thank it's you. Yeah. The Good Stewards, right? That's right. Uh, the Good Stewards, you can just look us up at thegoodstewards.com. We just did launch this, and this is with some of my partners, including the one that knows Low the best. That's Greg Whiteley. He and I have been actually partners for 25 years. Yes. Um, eight years ago, we started buying properties in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and got to know Low that way, and that was uh, has been a great connection. It's been a blessing. It yeah. has. You guys have been a blessing. Go ahead. <laughs> and two of my sons who now live in Kansas City, and that's kind of a story in of itself. They moved out there, my two middle sons and started a uh, property uh, investment out there. We now have, I think, uh, gosh, 470 houses and apartment units out there. So a lot awesome. going on. Indianapolis, yeah. so the one of my sons, uh, Andrew, is on the uh, Good Stewards podcast uh, of the two. The other one is Philip. And then uh, Ryan, who is in, uh, he's got our portfolios in Indianapolis, another really good cash flow Midwest city. And the fourth member of our group is Amanda Perkins. She's our operations manager and really brings a system-driven mindset to our company that's so helpful. So I think we have kind of a good, Ryan's kind of the marketing guru. Andrew's the numbers analysis guru. I just hang around and look good. 
Amanda brings all the systems and team-oriented uh, thoughtfulness to this podcast. So thegoodstewards.com. Love to love to have you join us for it. Awesome. Yes. And I'll make sure and provide the link for everyone. Now, also with the podcast, uh, I'm assuming, or you can share, you're going to have interviews of just you and your team, uh, just talking about business and marketing ideas and, and just helping others kind of, you know, learn how to pretty much do what you guys have done uh, to grow your business. You, you know, when I think of a buy and hold real estate investment business, which we primarily are, we once in a while we'll flip a property, but generally we're buy and hold. Mm -hmm. I think of a baseball diamond. Home plate is where you start with your finances, either, it's either bank finance, seller finance, private lending finance, which we normally do at eight to nine percent interest. And we fully finance the property. Uh, first base is the acquisition. And, um, you know, you really need to buy direct from seller, you know, not going to the MLS and buying retail, you need to find ways to buy wholesale. That's a whole big important area because you make your money when you buy. Yes. Second base is rehab and boy, you can make your money when you buy and then lose it when you rehab. So you got to have a grasp on good oversight of contractors or in-house uh, labor that you use to uh, enhance the value. And that's the value add normally for properties is your rehab. Third base is then property management. And that uh, you, you make your money when you buy, you realize your value when you do property management well. That is so important. Absolutely. Uh, and every one of our markets, and we probably have eight different markets around the country, including mm -hmm. a couple in Portland and Eugene, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Dallas, uh, Louisville, St. Louis, and a few others. So we, we kind of broaden and we, we have a lot of different uh, feel for the market out there. But then you get back to, to uh, home base. And if you're using the Burr method, buy, rent, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat, which is kind of the baseball diamond idea. Right. You get back to home base and you're going to refinance. So again, you're dealing with banks at that point, because if you've use seller financing or if you use your own funds or if you've used a private lender to start out with mm -hmm. like you do normally a private lender then you want to get the lowest possible interest when you turn back to home base refinance that with bank interest which is the lowest interest out there available to us as investors and you keep it for a long term you keep the property long term so we in stewardship have all those bases covered pretty well. That's not to say we don't have a lot to learn from outside people and we will be doing interviews, but generally to start out in our podcast, mm -hmm. we have a, a breadth of knowledge of all these bases that we'll yes. be sharing with our, our listeners. Awesome. That's, that's wonderful. Now, let me ask you, you know, being at the level where you are now and, and how much you've grown, uh, what keeps you motivated? What keeps you growing and, and, and becoming better? Well, I, I'm fortunate in that I'm the oldest partner of 14 of us or however many partners we have mm -hmm. all together. Uh, and so I get to ride the coattails of all this energy underneath me, <laughs> all this, <laughs> all this uh, young blood. My youngest partner, Ryan, actually, is uh, I think he's 25 years old. So oh, yeah. I'm more than double his age. Uh, but uh, it's fun to be with these guys because uh, they they keep me keep me getting up early in the morning and uh that you know i think it's uh find something that you love and pursue that because you'll become competent confident 
And if it's a source of that drives your economic engine, that which reminds me, by the way, of a book that Lo and I have been talking about periodically, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Yes. And he says, you know, and this is kind of where you do find your passion is when the confluence of three circles. One is what are you really good at? Maybe even the best at. What are you really passionate about? And thirdly, what drives your economic engine? When you find the confluence of those three circles, he calls it your hedgehog concept. And when you're in your hedgehog concept, you are pretty unstoppable. And also that that's a great motivation because that's who you are. You know, it comes out of who you are, your own passion, what you're really good at and what drives your economic engine. And I would really recommend that book if you haven't read it. Probably the best business book out there, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Absolutely. And I'll make sure and provide the link to that book as well. And uh, I appreciate you for bringing it to my attention. Uh, Yeah, it's it's, it's an exceptional book, a game changer. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give to a new investor, maybe just starting out in the business? Well, I think that uh, what I would say is you need to, first of all, think about your why. That's, uh, you know, if you want to Google why, how, and what, that's worth doing. There's some good TED Talks on that. But your why is kind of the core passion that you have. Why do you get up and do what mm-hmm. you do? And, you know, when I, my big why way back in 1989, when I started stewardship and bought my first house in Eugene, Oregon, uh, was I needed to feed my family. I needed to find a means just to put food on the table. Now, since then, my why has grown. Uh, it's grown into, I'd like to have some financial freedom that I wouldn't yes. be tied to a job. It grew to, I, you know, I would like to, uh, build an enduringly great company, which is actually the phrase that I got from Jim Collins in another book he wrote called Built to Last, which is mm-hmm. also very much worth reading. An enduringly great company. Wouldn't it be cool to build an enduringly great company? So that became my big why. Another, uh, as I kind of matured, uh, my big why turned into providing opportunities for anybody that was connected to stewardship properties, as much opportunity as w- was possible. So that has become a big why for me. It's my big why is kind of matured, but I would start there. What is your why? And it may just be one of I want to feed my family. That might be where you're starting, and that's fine. Then your what and how come out of your big why. Mm-hmm. You know, your action plans, your goals comes out of the why. But finally, there's another W that need to be very aware of, and that's the when. When yes. are you going to start? And I think I would go back to low and say. Take action. You know, you've That's got it. you got to go out there. You got to look at a lot of properties. You got to know your market, niche it down, so you become an expert of values in that area. So when you see something that's a good deal, you can jump on it quickly. Uh, you want to uh, be the kind of person that is willing to say, "Okay, I'm going to make a lot of offers. I'm going to I'm going to just go out there and throw offers. They're going to be kind of on the low side. I'm going to look for an investment-minded broker to help me." I'm going to look at for sale by owners. I'm going to go everywhere I can. I'm going to open my funnel as big as possible to find deals coming my way. But when I find them, I'm going to be willing to strike. If I need to have some financial background, I'm going to find a partner. I'm going to be set up. I'm going to be ready to go. But when I find that deal, I'm actually going to pull the trigger, write a contract, make an offer and buy the property. Absolutely. And and I, I loved how you shared and broke down how your why changes 
you know, during this journey, because you're absolutely correct. I've been in business um, 13 years, my partner and I, and just in the 13 years when I first started, my why has changed. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely correct. And I got one final question for you before I let you go. Sure. So what piece of advice would you share with an investor that's been in the business for a little while, but maybe really uh, frustrated and they're thinking about quitting? What mm. would you share with them? Boy, that's a good question. I guess I would come back to the power of real estate. Again, you kind of got to go back to your maybe a, a step back before that is what's your hedgehog concept? Try yes. to nail that down. What are you passionate about? And by the way, your passion can grow out of competence. It doesn't mean, hey, I love to do everything about real estate necessarily, but I think I can get good at this. And if I can get good at this, I can find ways to delegate other things that I'm not so good at. You shouldn't be working out of your weaknesses. Boy, if I was doing the accounting part of our business, man, you know, <laughs> be going nowhere, you know. Uh, the D I'm not a detail oriented person. I'm kind of a, I'm just not, I'm also, I'm not, I'm, I'm a go by my gut kind of person, but I have what I would call fact finders on my team, which keep me kind of going straight because they're going to look at, uh, let's do some serious due diligence about this deal before we jump into it with all, all four kind of thing. So you, you need to have a team. I think that, that enhances you know, allows you to work out of your strengths rather than focus on your weaknesses. So if you're focusing on your weaknesses, that's one of the biggest discouragements you can you can mm -hmm. run into. And maybe that's been part of your discouragement is you've just not been in a situation where you can focus on your strengths. Maybe you need a partner to help you with that. Uh, so you can do what you do best and they can do, he or she can do what they do best. Um, I would say <clears throat> then to move this forward a little bit, uh, real estate has the capability of making an average person absolutely wealthy. And the reason is because of leverage. There are precious few business opportunities that come our way where we can leverage things. That is use other people's money and a, a large amount of other people's money and a small or no amount of our own money and able to acquire properties, you know, that we, that, that other people are not only financing for us, that is private individuals or banks, uh, and other people are paying for us, that is our our renters are paying for us. So tell me another business out there, you know, unless you're a genius at, uh, you know, programming software or something, uh, you know, that then you should go that direction probably and build yourself a Facebook. Yeah, that worked out pretty well for somebody. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's not a lot of businesses that offer the, the aspect of leverage. I call real estate investment buy and hold investment ideal. You've got income from rent. you got depreciation for taxes. You really minimize your taxes because of depreciation. You've got equity buildup. That's the E of ideal. And that is over time. If you got a loan, you're going to be paying your principal down. And that's a wonderful magic of real estate investment. The A is potential appreciation over time. Real estate has shown itself to appreciate at about the level of uh, inflation. And that's not always the case. It's not a given, but generally that will happen. And then finally, the L is leverage. And I've just spoken about that. But let me throw in one more. There's one more. Sure. That's the I. It's an inefficient market. The stock market is an efficient market. 
So there's thousands and thousands of investors in the in the world looking at the same stock with all the same information about it. And there's not there's too much efficiency in the market to get a good deal. You just, you know, unless you're Warren Buffett and you really, you know, have honed your skills incredibly well. Right. You might as well just have monkeys choosing your index fund for you because that's <laughs> shown to be just as good as anything, any other approach. <laughs> but the real estate market, unlike the stock market, is an inefficient market. Every deal is unique. You're looking for motivated sellers who need to unload their property. You're looking to enhance that property through a value add, like adding bedrooms to a campus rental property or the kind of uh, rehab that you're going to do. You're going to open up some walls so it becomes an open concept house where it's been not so open before. You're going to enhance the value. So it's an inefficient market. Ideal plus the eye is where you want to go. That is fantastic. And, and I'm just going to encourage everybody, go back and listen to this replay and take some notes. He is dropping jewels. That's great. Bill, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Again, everyone, go to thegoodstewards.com. Com. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. And I think you you all have prepared something of value uh, to share with, with anyone that subscribes. We have a free ebook that's actually 250 some pages long. So I think you'll appreciate that book. Awesome. So again, everybody go to the goodstewards.com. Bill, again, thank you so much. Again, it's, it's, it's been a blessing to, to get to know you, to work with you and to learn from you. All right. So same, same here, Lo. Awesome. I really appreciated our relationship and, and uh, enjoy it. Uh, I know going forward, it'll be just as good or better. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you again. So now you know what to do. Go take action. Thanks, Lo. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.